Today's reading is from Matthew 24, verses 32 through 42. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, good morning. Uh, My name is Gabe Coyle. I'm the campus pastor here, and it's great to be together today. Um, And how would you answer this question? If the world was to end tomorrow, what would you do today? Now, I don't want to start off sounding alarmist, right? Because a lot of people say, you know, and make these claims that Christians are doomsdayers. But But honestly, this question, okay, Um, has been asked from people across cultures, across religions. Even atheists have asked this question, answered this question, live in light of the answer to this question. If the world was to end tomorrow, what would you do today? Now, for some, it may be uh, something reminiscent to what happened during uh, Ice-mageddon 2017. You remember? Right? Uh, People stockpiled. Grocery stores were cleaned out. Um, People hunkered down. And they were ready for the worst, for things like this, which would lead to moments like these, right? But in reality, you had churches that closed, schools that got out early, businesses let their employees go home early. And then at the end of the day, this is what happened. (laughs) Close enough, right? (laughs) (laughs) I just love that. It was just a weird day. If the world was to end tomorrow, what would you do today? Um... For some, more than some, tech billionaires, their answer to this question involves buying an underground bunker. Have you heard about this? Uh, It was an article in the uh, New Yorker a couple weeks ago, and around 50%, around 50% of tech billionaires are preppers, which is that fancy word for saying, well, I guess it's not really that fancy, that word for uh, describing people who buy a safe home in case everything goes to pot and they have a place to escape to, right? Well, and, and there are a lot of reasons why people prep. Some of them are, you know, been around for a while. It could be an asteroid that strikes. It could be a worldwide plug. It could be nuclear war. Some of your hearts are just starting to race incessantly. Sorry, I didn't mean to make this a place of anxiety. Now, but for the tech billionaires, uh, their reason for this is they're, they're terrified. 50% of these tech billionaires are terrified that there's going to be this national uprising by the populace because technology is going to replace so many jobs that they're going to uprise and seek to come after those who are behind the technology. This, is, this was in the New Yorker. This is, a, this is the fear of, of a majority 
of tech billionaires. And look, people have their reasons. I'm not trying to condemn preppers. I've got bottled water, non-perishable food, and a first aid kit at home, right? But the question still stands. What about you? What about you? If the world was to end tomorrow, what would you do today? Would you stockpile ammunition, food? Would you spend time with loved ones? Would you throw a raging party that this world will never forget? Don't laugh too hard. Come on. Some of you are more pious than others, right? You're like, man, I would feed the hungry. I'd gather some friends together. We'd pray at church. Some of you would share the gospel with that one friend you've been waiting. Whatever you might do, chances are really good that if you had like a homework assignment due the next day, that's not going to get done. That project at work that your boss has been breathing down your neck about, about, it will sit idle. And the last thing on your mind is whether or not you've watered your rose bushes, right? If you even have rose bushes. But out of all the answers, I think, to this question, probably the weirdest response to this came from a 16th century catalytic Protestant leader, a guy you may know, Martin Luther. Um, Martin Luther, when asked this question, if the world was to end tomorrow, what would you do today? Luther is said to have responded by saying, if I knew that tomorrow was the end of the world, I would plant an apple tree today. <laughs> Which is just weird, isn't it? I mean, some of you, you have to be thinking like you're sitting around there with Martin Luther and you're thinking, all right, Luther, you did a great job with the Reformation, but why don't you quit while you're ahead, right? This is, because it, it feels so far afield. And yet, the more I study what Jesus has to say about this, the more I think Martin Luther was on to something, on to more of what we're called to than I ever once thought. For those of you who are new, we're walking through um, Matthew's account, Matthew's gospel, the, the account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Matthew is one of Jesus' closest followers, and so we get this unique window into the final week of Jesus' life. And last week, we saw Jesus' prepping his people for the end. And, and we saw that Jesus was telling us what to expect about the end. Whereas this week, he's telling us what to do while we wait for the end. So when we go through today's passage, here's how you could break it down. It's three key ingredients to prepare for the end. Here they are. We're going to look at what not to do, what you should do, and what's at risk if you don't do what you should do. Pretty simple, right? So let's take a look at this together. If you haven't already, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 24 beginning in verse 32. If you're using one of our community Bibles, it's found on page number 830. Now, if you were to guess the one thing that every person, every prepper wants to know about the end, the one thing that can give you the advantage, what do you think it is? It's when the end will happen, right? If you can know when the end will happen, you can prepare so strategically that you could get everything in alignment. And listen, this, this is at the core of the disciples' question back in verse 3 that sets all of this up. They say, tell us, Jesus, when will all of this take place? When will the end take place? And there have been so many guesses about when the end will take place. And people come together with these elaborate frameworks around their guesses that justify why it's going to be this day, this month, this minute, around this particular activity. You know, one of the first doomsday predictions I personally remember was around Y2K. Do you, remember, do you remember this? All the computers were going to go back to double zero or something like that at midnight of January 1st, 2000. And so people were afraid that banks were going to lose their information. The city infrastructure was going to come to a screeching halt. Some pastors thought this was 2,000 years after the birth of Jesus. This is going to usher in the millennium. And then we all woke up and went on with our lives. Um, and then there was this hype 
from Nostradamus's prediction about 2012, and then the Mayan calendar ended in 2012. Was our world going to end in 2012? And maybe they just ran out of room on the stone. Like what? <laughs> There's so many guesses out there. Some of the more recent ones are because there was a blood moon or a solar eclipse or a lunar eclipse or a Thursday. Like there are hundreds of guesses, actually thousands of guesses. And yet here you are sitting in this place this morning. Thousands of guesses passed. And Jesus is really explicit about all this guesswork and trying to land on dates and months. Jesus says, don't try to predict when. That's not how you prep for the end. The best we hear from Jesus is that it's near. If you go to verse 32, which we just heard read for us, Jesus tells us that in the same way, you know, summer's right around the corner. When the leaves start, you know, coming off the branches, you know that the end is near. So also all these things, which is referring back to the persecution of Christians, the false Christs and false prophets, all that in verses 4 through 28 that we saw earlier in chapter 24, in the same way Jesus says all these things are signs that the end is near. In the same way of le like when leaves bust out on these branches, you know summer's close. And then Jesus says something interesting. He says that this generation of disciples, they won't pass away until all these things have started taking place which isn't to say that they'll come to an end in their generation, but that they'll start all the way back in the first century. <laughs> that the end will be near in the first century. So the end is close, actually closer today <laughs> than it ever has been 2,000 years later. But, 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 look at what Jesus says in verse 36. But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. This, this whole answer to the question when is God the Father's best kept secret. <laughs> and Jesus is like, hey, even me, the Son, the Son of God, I'm not going to be able to tell you when it is right now. Um, which you may be thinking, wait a second, I thought Jesus was God, so how can he not know something that God the Father knows? Good question. Well, in one sense, we begin to peer into the mystery of the divinity of Jesus, that he is fully God and fully man. And the early church wrestled with this. Until you come to the Council of Chalcedon in 451 AD. After a lot of debate, the church came to understand that this actually isn't a huge obstacle to understanding that Jesus is fully God. And after much debate, the church recognized what's been the Orthodox Christian position throughout history that our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, is tr truly God and truly man. So, so if, that, if this isn't an obstacle, then why doesn't Jesus know? right? Here's why. Jesus, yes, came to die for our sins, to make a payment for the penalty that we cannot pay, but he also came to lead a life of an example and show us what it means to be truly human and to live a faithful life in full dependence upon God the Father. And what Jesus shows us here is that you don't have to be obsessed with when if you want to be faithful in the end when it comes. You don't have to be obsessed with when it happens if you want to be faithful in the end when it comes. So you can rest assured that no matter how hard we try to pinpoint when Jesus will, uh, will come back, we're going to be surprised. And he gives us these different illustrations along the way, doesn't he? He's like, you've got two people who are going to work next to each other, and then one's going to be gone. 
And it's going to be like a thief when he breaks into your house. Anybody know when the thief's going to break into your house? No, that's why you have ADT, right? These are the reasons you don't know when they're going to come and try to break into your home. And then Jesus even says, looking back in, in verse, uh, back, back in chapter 24, he says that suffering and persecution is going to get a lot worse before he returns. And you may be thinking, okay, well, I'm just going to wait till suffering gets to these apocalyptic proportions. Then I'm going to know Jesus is coming. And he's like, no, you won't even know it then. You're still going to be surprised. And he starts talking about the story of Noah. Are you familiar with the story of Noah? The story of Noah, I mean, there was so much violence, so much bloodshed, so much chaos that God lamented that he made humankind. It was awful. And in the same way, that's what our culture and our world will be like. And people, Jesus says, just like in the days of Noah, people just ate, they drank, and they gave in marriage. Life went on as usual. And it's unbelievable the capacity we have as human beings to make atrocious things normal life. And so if we think we're going to be able to recognize and be able to do some guesswork because suffering has gotten to a certain proportion, Jesus is like, you're, you're still going to be surprised. You're still going to be surprised. Don't try to predict when I, I got a glimpse of this when I was in Jerusalem, uh, taking a class while I was in college, and I was walking through old Jeru Jerusalem, and this Muslim uh, leather salesman pulled me into his shop. And he's like, "Hey, let's have some tea." I was like, "Okay." So we had this really hot tea on a hot summer afternoon in the back, and all the while there were there were a lot of there was a lot of fighting going on in, in Gaza, which just so you know is less than an hour's drive <laughs> from Jerusalem. And so while we're talking, these fighter jets go overhead. And I was just curious because I'm terrified at this moment. You know, what's happening? I'm in a foreign country. There's fighting going on less than an hour. Bloodshed. People are dying. This is brutal fighting. And I was like, how do you live knowing that all of this fighting is less than an hour away from you? And he goes, ah, that's all the way down to Gaza. <laughs> don't give it a second thought. He's like, you don't need to worry about that. I was like, how does that become normal? Like less than an hour away, it's all the way down in Gaza, you know? We have an unbelievable capacity to make bloodshed, chaos, and violence a normal co component of our lives and just go on with life as usual. And so if we think that's going to be the ultimate, ultimate litmus test as to when Jesus returns, we're going to be surprised. Don't try to predict when. The best we know is that his coming is near. And remember, God doesn't see time like we see time. Peter, when he's writing, says that for God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So don't try to predict when. Unless you're smarter than Jesus, yeah. Or better connected with God the Father than Jesus, I wouldn't give it a try, okay? So let's just make that a good little standard for us. Don't try to predict when. So what should you do? Look at verse 44. Therefore, because we can't predict when, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. In other words, since you can't know when, just always be prepared. Just always be prepared. I've always respected the Boy Scouts. Never been one. Um, I, I love the way they've got, you know, 400 ways to tie a knot. That's really neat. Um, but one thing that I really liked about the Boy Scouts was their motto. Be prepared. Right? Whatever happens, whenever it happens, be prepared. And while Jesus doesn't give us a lot on when, he says it's near, and it's been near for 2,000 years, he gives us a lot on how to be prepared. 
And he illustrates his point by telling a story contrasting two servants. Anybody in here a fan of Downton Abbey? Anyone? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, some of you are ashamed, but there it is. One is like, one of these servants is kind of like Mr. Carson, the kind Mr. Carson. And then the other servant is like the shifty Thomas Barrow, right? One of them is faithful, the other is wicked. One is wise, the other foolish. One prepared for the master return, the other unprepared. One promoted and blessed, the other punished and cursed. But what's the key difference between these two servants? What sets these two servants apart? Let's look at the passage together, beginning in verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's our homeboy Jesus. So what's the difference between these two servants? Jesus is saying that if you want to be like the faithful servant rather than the wicked servant, if you want to be prepared for Christ's return and not caught off guard, here it is. Work today like there's no tomorrow. Work today like there's no tomorrow. If you look at the faithful servant, you don't, think, you don't see anything extraordinary about what he does. Isn't that fascinating? It's really ordinary work. He just pays people's bills. He makes sure servants have their food and he carries out the master's will. Every day, consistently. He's on time. He does his work. He gets it done. He's not even worried about when. There's not, a, there's not even a mention on time in the first servant's situation. He works that day and doesn't assume he has till tomorrow before his master visits. He works today as if there is no tomorrow. Like Jesus could drop in at any moment. I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases in verses 45 through 47, speaking of this prepared servant, he writes, Who here qualifies for the job of overseeing the kitchen? A person the master can depend on to feed the workers on time each day. Someone the master can drop in on unannounced and always find him doing his job. A God-blessed man or woman, I tell you, it won't be long before the master will put this person in charge of the whole operation. But what about the other servant? The other figures, he's got a lot of time right? He says to himself, the master is delayed. He's really concerned about when the master comes back, really concerned. And he tries to pinpoint when the master will return. Why? This is so important. So he can do what he wants until the master comes back. Please listen. In living that way, you'll always think you've got time and you'll always be caught off guard. Always. Now, if you're a Kansas City Royals fan, then you're reminded just how quickly your end can come or the end can come when in January, Ventura, who had a life of fame, success, wealth, all ahead of him, was killed in a car crash at age 25 in the Dominican Republic. I mean, if anyone had time, I mean, this guy had a whole future ahead of him. He had every opportunity you could have ever imagined. Gone. And our heart breaks as a city. No one can predict when the end will come. 
No one can predict when their end will come. And all you have is today. So if you want to be prepared, stop worrying about when and work today like there's no tomorrow. Like Jesus is coming back tonight. And don't put it off. But please hear me. If, if, if you haven't surrendered your life over to Jesus yet, if you've never given Jesus all that you are and embraced all that he's accomplished for you on the cross, if you have not embraced the gospel that God in Christ came, lived the perfect life, died the sufficient death, paid the penalty for your sins, satisfied justice cosmically on your behalf, forgave sin and provided a pathway of reconciliation with God now, if you have not done that, now's the time to do it. And if you're sitting here thinking, well, I'll just live my life the way I want to live it now and I'll wait till tomorrow to take care of that because I've got some things I'd really like to do my way, you might not have tomorrow. Instead, give Jesus your life now. Let him not just be your savior, but as we see here, let him be your Lord and have dominion over every aspect of your life so that when he comes, he might find you faithful. And this is reflected in our statement of faith of the Evangelical Free Church, where it says the coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy, and as our blessed hope motivates the believer to what? Godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. And so today, with this in mind, with Jesus as our master, our Lord, we'll work today like there's no tomorrow, like we can't assume that we can make it up tomorrow. Like Jesus could come at any time and so find us doing our jobs. And you know, I was thinking about this because I know what images often come to our mind when we hear that. And there's a lot of great things as we think about, okay, well, I need to be in the Word more. I need to be praying more. Yes, most definitely. I think there's this call for all of us to have this private devotional life. But the way this takes shape, and even the illustration that Jesus gives us, gives us freedom to understand how this takes shape in various vocations and callings in the majority of your day. And we need help here. So as we stand on the precipice of the end, what does it look like to work today like there's no tomorrow? It looks a lot like what Martin Luther was talking about. It looks like caring for the planet as good stewards and planting an apple tree that provides food for people and animals, helps the photosynthesis process, absorbs our carbon dioxide, helps produce oxygen for people who are going to be living far beyond our years. It means starting institutions that can curb injustice and engage in brokenness around the world and help provide good products for the sustenance of humankind and the cultivation of creation. It means cultivating flourishing communities, seeking the common good for the glory of God, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus in word and deed. And Here's a couple of people that came to my mind as I was thinking about this. It looks like curator Ollie Pamplin, the curator of this month's show here. As a Christian, she upholds the dignity of every human person being created in the image of God. It's anchored in the Christian narrative. And specifically, she highlights the work of the Harlem Renaissance to combat the inaccurate and often very destructive images that mainstream culture produces of the black community and instead curbs with images of affirmation and worth, as we sang earlier, to wonders here I confess my worth and my unworthiness. And so often our culture attacks the worth and the value of black identity. And so she put in countless hours to work with various artists to bring together a beautiful art display to continue to overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. May God establish the work of her hands in the words of Psalm 90 as she works like there's no tomorrow. 
It looks like downtown member Eddie Wright, lead instructional coach of secondary schools in the Kansas City, Kansas public schools. As he seeks to work like there's no tomorrow, he works more than 40 hours a week to help broaden the access to literacy. May God establish the work of his hands as he works like there's no tomorrow. It looks like downtown member Jake Silliman, analyst number one at the Federalist Reserve Bank of Kansas City, as he works more than 40 hours a week to help preserve the integrity of information involving our nation's central bank. May God establish the work of his hands as he works like there's no tomorrow. It looks like downtown member Mackenzie Sykes, co-owner, director of operations for Scooter's Coffee, as she works more than 40 hours a week to spread the love one cup at a time. Don't you want a cup of coffee from her, right? <laughs> or one of her employees? May God establish the work of her hands as she works like there's no tomorrow. It looks like Rob and Sherry Wassergord, as they are faithful in leading prayer every Sunday morning at 8.30 with others for our church, our city, and our world. It looks like Charlie Flayhive, who consistently and faithfully sweeps the sidewalk between services to make this place beautiful and also contribute to our city. It looks like Steve Lewis and others who give their Friday night every Friday night to host AA here and so provide support for those who are wrestling with alcoholism. May God establish the work of our hands as we work like there's no tomorrow and we can work together way better than we can ever work on our own. And so often we don't see these things or we brush these things off. But listen, this is the way that God has called us to work today like there's no tomorrow. Jesus doesn't want to waste our time trying to predict when. He just wants us to be faithful whenever he shows up. Use your energy. Don't waste it on trying to predict. Leverage it to carry out the good works of the gospel. Because listen, if you don't, you know what's at risk. You know what you'll miss. When you get down to Matthew 25, Jesus tells this story about 10 women, 10 young women. It was common in weddings in the first century for the bridegroom to go back to his house to grab his bridal party then to come to the bride's house, grab the bride and all of her bridal party, and then they would go back to his house and they'd have this huge celebration. And so you have these 10 young women who are waiting at the bride's house and they've got their lamps and they're waiting. And, and, and five of these 10 women were wise and they brought extra oil just in case the bridegroom takes way longer than they anticipated. So if he comes in the middle of the night, they can fill their lamps and they can join. But five didn't. And so they wait and they wait. And they wait, and all 10 of them fall asleep. Every single one of them falls asleep. But then they hear something. After all that waiting, they hear the hooping and hollering of the bridegroom, so excited to come and gather up his bride in the bridal party, and beginning to shout, saying, now's the time to celebrate. So the five women who came, who had the extra oil, who were prepared, they jump up, they fill their lamps, and they join the processional. But the other five say, hey, we didn't bring enough oil. Can we have some of yours? And they say, we, we would love to, but we don't have enough for you to use. You're going to have to go back and go purchase some oil. And so they leave, and they go back to the shop because they weren't prepared. And when they come back, finally, with oil in their lamps, the bridegroom says, it's too late. I don't even know who you are. Why weren't you prepared? And they don't get to join in on the celebration. Listen, if you continue to procrastinate, if you're not prepared when he comes, you know what's at risk? You won't just miss him today. You may miss him forever. There's no guarantee you have tomorrow. Don't try to predict when he's coming back. 
Because oftentimes the motivation behind that is so that we can do what we want when we want until the very last second. Instead, Jesus says, always be prepared for the end. Always. And so as we go back to our initial question, if the world was to end tomorrow, what would you do today? You know what Jesus has to say? What Martin Luther was seeking to get at is always be prepared. Work today like there's no tomorrow. Invite Jesus in. Surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and let Him be the motivating guide and also let Him define what is good and right in your life and now serve Him as the master of your life. Work today for Him like there's no tomorrow. So have you, as, you, as you ask yourself that this morning, are you living in such a way that Jesus could step in at any moment and find you carrying out His will? When you serve your church today, when you go to work tomorrow, when you engage your neighbors this week, in every sphere of your life, whatever God has given you to steward, are you carrying out His will or just doing your own thing? Because if you aren't prepared, you just might not miss Him today, but you may miss Him forever. Don't, don't put it off. And I would be remiss if I ended this morning just highlighting the warning that Jesus is giving here without also highlighting the good news that this brings. You see, we can hear this, and for some it may stir fear, but that's not Jesus' intention. His intention is to stir us with great gratitude. And here's why. In a world of great inequality, you don't have to be wealthy to prepare for the end of the world. In a world of great inequality, you don't have to have, to have a degree in political science and somehow navigate the geopolitical landscape to pinpoint when he's going to come back. You know what Jesus is saying here? Is that slaves, peasants, the overlooked, the under-resourced, pastors, teachers, accountants, analysts, curators, artists, all can be ready just as much as the next. Instead of being anxious about when, being faithful now. That's the key to being prepared. Trusting Him with everything now and working today like there's no tomorrow. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. God, there's been a lot of toxic stuff in the church where we overemphasize the when because we're not being faithful even today. God, I pray that for the things you called us to do today, that's where our energy and focus would go. Knowing that the end will surely come and that it's near. Nearer today than it was yesterday. But oh God, may we be like that faithful servant. That, that no matter when you happen to drop in, no matter when Christ returns and gathers up his people, even if the suffering reaches to untold proportions, we will be found faithful, carrying out your will to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and so love your neighbor as yourself, and to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that you've commanded. And lo, you're with us always, even to the end of the age. God, may we be faithful as our various vocations and callings. May we live as if you're coming tonight. And so be prepared for whenever it does happen. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.